Thanks, Jesse. Morning, guys. I, I feel an obligation to um, congratulate the Cougar fans. I am a Duck fan. I will own that. Hey, this is a place of grace. Come on. But at least the Dodgers won yesterday, so that made me happy. Okay, reality check. How many of you are human? Let me see your hands. Okay, a couple of you are not sure. We'll pray for you later. Um, how many of you have absolutely figured out life and you're perfect all the time? Yeah, I didn't see any hands on that one, especially in light of what I just heard from the Cougar fans. But anyhow, <clears throat> not, all of, not any of us, uh, in, all, in all seriousness, none of us is perfect. We're all still in process. And the reality is we all still fail. And that's not something that I get all giddy and excited about. It's just a reality that we all fail. Uh, the unfortunate reality is that uh, sin is in our DNA. And some of us um, have given our lives to Christ. I'm going to talk about this this morning, about how we can live free from that. Um, but sin is still something we have to wrestle with. Even once we become Christ followers, we still struggle with the reality of our past and our sin. I know that we are new cre creations in Christ. I know the scriptures. I know what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that we are new in Jesus. I get that. I know that. In fact, Paul says in Romans 7 that we're delivered from our wretchedness and no longer slaves to sin. And I am really grateful for that, that when we become followers of Jesus, we give our lives to him, we embrace what he did for us on that cross, that we are no longer slaves to our sin. But none of us is perfect, and not one of us is naked and eaten. In other words, none of us can say that we have no guilt or shame ever in our life. And so we're in part two of our series called Hope Rising today, and we're talking about what to do when you feel hopeless because you're still sinless. All the time, I talk to Christians, people who love Jesus, and they say, I am really struggling, I feel hopeless, I feel like God has just given up on me, and I might give up on him because I wrestle with hopelessness because I know I still fail, I still sin. Well, what do you do when you fail? What do you do when you haven't got it all together yet? What do you do when you try your best and you still blow it? Now, this probably won't surprise you, um, but uh, this last week, I failed. In fact, multiple times, probably. If you think about failure being a word or thought or deed or something we should have done or didn't do, um, we all fail. But I, I, this last week, I actually did something that hurt someone. Now, I didn't want to. In fact, my plan was to do just the opposite. I'd really sincerely tried not to fail. But I let my fears get the best of me, and in fact, I did make a mistake. I failed. I hurt someone. It's reality. If it's true for me, I would suggest it's true for you. We're going to be in John chapter 8. If you've got your Bible, open up to John the 8th chapter. But uh, while we're getting in, let me just tell you what the big idea is. In fact, it's the back side of your bulletin if you want to follow along and take some notes this morning. It's the big idea. On this side of eternity, you and I will always struggle with our old nature. That is nothing like our new nature in Jesus. However, that's not the end of the story. Now, if we just finish with the first sentence, on this side of eternity, you're always going to struggle, and, and you're, you're not going to ever get it together, that'd be pretty depressing, wouldn't it be? That would be like, oh man, thanks for bringing that up. I'm so glad I came to church today. But it doesn't end there. The truth is, that's not the end of our story. That is not the end. That is not the final chapter in who you and I are in Jesus and because of him. For you who uh, are wrestling with reality today, and that would be all of us at some point, we can have hope despite our humanness. But to do so requires some understanding that we will struggle, that there is a battle going on, and yet that we don't have to get stuck there. We don't have to live there. We don't have to give up in hopelessness because of that. I had to turn to John chapter 8. Let me pick it up in verse 1. John 8, verse 1. When Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, at dawn he appeared again in the temple court. So Jesus had gone up. He would treat it to the Mount of Olives, which is where they generally stayed. And now he's come back into Jerusalem to uh, go to the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. 
Verse 3, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, uh, the law of Moses commands us to stone such a woman, literally to put her to death. Now, <laughs> what do you say, Jesus? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, they weren't going to back off. They wouldn't, they wouldn't let it go. He straightened up and he said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Verse 9, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with a woman still standing. Jesus answered, uh, straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. And then Jesus said this, and neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Now, if you're familiar with this passage or if you've read it before, some of your Bibles may actually have a commentary on the bottom that says that this uh, passage of Scripture is not generally found in the oldest manuscripts. We have copies and manuscripts that were, John's original gospel was written and copies were made of it with great detail. But the oldest manuscripts don't actually contain this story. And so that's noted in a lot of your Bibles probably at the bottom. Here's the point, though. John, later on, in fact, John chapter 21, verse 25, John said, there's so many things that Jesus did that he says, I suppose all the world would not be able to contain all that, that Christ did for us. And so John even makes mention at the end of the book that there are many other things not recorded for us. Most theologians, most scholars, in case you're wondering, in case you're wondering, why would I teach them this passage? Some of you don't care. Some of you have never thought of this before. But why would I go here? Well, because most theologians believe that this was an oral story passed down, which was frequently the case anyhow. And that this probably did happen. They believe it did. And the two questions that we have to ask ourselves when we look at a story like this is, does it sound like Jesus? I would ask you the question, does it sound like Jesus? Of course it does. And the second issue as well, is there anything here that would contradict what we know of Jesus or what's taught elsewhere in the Bible? Of course, the answer is no. We're going to look at a very similar passage next Sunday, which is Jesus' encounter with another sinful woman. So the point being here is that I believe this story teaches us some things that will give you hope, that will help you have hope today when you struggle with sin. And again, let me be clear, every one of us, including me, struggles with sin. So some things, three things I want to give you. Number one, your outline. Here's the first thing. Self-righteous people are quick to point out the sins of others. Self-righteous people are always quick to point out the sins of others. In verse 3 of this passage, it says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, these are the most religious of the religious. These are the guys that figured they had it all down. They knew it all. They'd study. Most of them, had, in fact, all of them memorized the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They were students of the Scriptures. They knew the Word. And these guys think that they've got it all together. And they brought a woman caught in the act of adultery, and they made her stand before the group. Now, here's the thing about this that amazes me, is that Jesus would not stand for their self-righteousness. He never did. The only group of people he consistently challenged and got in their face of and was actually quite, you might even call rude to at times, very, very confrontive were these guys, the religious Pharisees. And Jesus wouldn't stand for it. Their own teachers, these men, there, it was common in that day for the, the Jewish teachers of the law to say, well, no one's got it all figured out. They would admit that no one is perfect, and yet they dragged this woman in before Jesus, and they want to stone her death. And Jesus, in fact, another passage in Matthew 7, verse 3, Matthew 7, 3, here's what Jesus said. He said, those who 
look at, who do you, excuse me, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? So Jesus was speaking to this group, another group just like them, or these exact guys, and he said, why are you worried about that speck of sawdust, that little thing in your eye, when you got a plank, you got a two by four coming out of yours? I've got a good friend who has a phrase I've ripped off and used many times. His phrase is, if you spot it, you got it. If you spot it, you got it. It's a good one to use with your children, by the way, if you have kids at home, because they're always spotting what their siblings are doing. And I, it's just good to remind you, you know what? If you spot it, you got it. You probably have done that very same thing. You've failed. You've sinned. You've done that. But it's our human nature to want to point fingers at other people. I'm going to tell you a dirty little secret. Ready? Sometimes we pastors, when we get together, we complain. And we complain about you. Now, we're hoping nobody's sitting around us at Starbucks as we're griping and complaining, but I just, in fact, it wasn't too long ago. I, well, maybe uh, early summer, I was with a good friend of mine. We were at Starbucks on, on uh, Sprague and, and uh, Pines there, my Starbucks. It's my Starbucks. But we were there, and I'm uh, with a friend, and, and uh, he said, how are things going? And I said, well, you know, okay, but man, I had this couple, you know, blah, 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 blah. And he said, I can't believe the way they left. And they left pretty much giving me, you know, a grief and, and speaking poorly of me and spreading stories and saying they just left in a really mean way. I did some, in fact, I'm really glad that those people are gone. And he's just sitting there listening to me. Now, does that shock you that I would have that conversation? I'm, I, I mentioned earlier, I'm human, right? I raised my hand when I said human and imperfect. So I'm going, and he just smiles. He says, hey, Kurt, yeah. He says, isn't it funny that you're doing the exact same thing about them that they did, they're doing about you? <laughs> really made me mad. <laughs> you spot it, you got it. I was complaining. I was being negative about them, the very same thing that they have done about me. We are so quick, and I would say we, so quick to point out the sins of others. And one of the things we have to do if we're going to have hope in the midst of our imperfections is stop being self-righteous, start owning what we have done, and not listen to the voices of those who are self-righteous around us. Now, someone would say, is there a point, isn't there a place for, for accountability and for confrontation? And I would say, yes, there is, when it's done relationally, when it's done in the context of relationship. In fact, here's what the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 6.1. He said, if any of you, if brothers and sisters, if, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you too may be tempted. You also may be tempted. Paul says, yeah, there is a place for confrontation. There is a point and a place where you can call someone to account for their life. It is always done in the context of relationship. And what Paul says here is that we're to do it gently. What does that mean? I mean, we do it humbly. We do it from a realization that we are far from perfect. We don't, we don't want to beat anybody up. We want to restore them, and that's the process we want to take them through. Self-righteous people, quick to point out the sins of others. Don't listen to them because it won't give you hope. And don't be like them because that's not going to give you hope either. Number two, here's the second thing. None of us is without sin. We are all in process. I've said that already, but let me land on it just a bit more. None of us, not a one of us is without sin. We are all in process. Look at verse 7 and 8 again in the passage here in John 8. They kept on questioning Jesus. They weren't going to let it go. He, he, Jesus bent down and started writing in the dirt. Now, we have no idea what he's doing. We can only speculate. Here's what I think. I'm going to ask Jesus when I get there with him. But he bends down and he starts writing in the dirt. Now, I think he's writing some of the other Ten Commandments. The ninth, a sixth commandment is thou shalt not commit adultery, which is what they wanted to stone this woman for. My take is, just speculation, we don't know, that Jesus is down in the dirt and he's writing some of the other 
commandments. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not, you know, have no other false gods before me. I don't know, but they weren't going to let it up. And so they keep hounding Jesus. And then Jesus gets up, and boy, can you imagine looking at his face? Again, these are the group of people, the self-righteous, that he didn't really treat what you would call with kit gloves. He was usually pretty harsh with them. When he called them a brood of vipers, that's how many of you like to be called a brood of vipers? I mean, these are not guys that he had tolerance for the way they acted. And he said, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And I'm pretty sure that moment, it was pretty quiet. And then he stoops back down and he's doodling in the dirt again. Whatever he's doing, he's doodling in the dirt. And it says, one by one, starting with the oldest to the youngest, they walked away. They left this woman. None of us is without sin. Jesus made the point here that not a one of us can say that we are without sin still in our lives. We're human, which means we're always going to struggle. But again, that's not the end of our story. Again, if it just left that, if I just told you today, oh, you're human, oh, well, you're going to fail, oh, well. I mean, that's not really very encouraging. That's like, yeah, but what do I do about it? Here's the good news. God's never going to give up on you. Jesus is always going to continue to work in you and through you by the power of his Holy Spirit. We are in process of being transformed. Here's a passage found in 2 Corinthians 3.18. We are all being transformed into Christ's image. We are all, I love that word, all. That means if we are walking with Jesus, we are all being. And that means we are in process. It's not like a one and done. Hey, I gave my life to Christ and boom, I was transformed immediately into this great saint of God. Nope. We are being transformed. We're in this process. The theological term for that is sanctification. It just means that we are in process. God is working in us and through us and on us to mold us into the image of his son. And that's his commitment to you, that he's going to get you where you need to be. He loves you so much that he's, he's not going to let you stay stuck. He's not going to let you stay trapped in that sin. He's going to continue to challenge you and grow you. But he always, listen, always does it in the context of relationship. These men, as far as we know, unless they were part of the group that perhaps had, had once upon a time committed adultery to this woman, it's highly likely that she was a prostitute. But Jesus said, if you're without sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. And Jesus knew that none of them were. And again, the point is that we are all in process. About 20 years ago, it seems like another lifetime ago, I was on the worship team at Life Center. Uh, our mother church, and many of you know uh, about Life Center. Pastor Joe's been my friend for 42 years, my pastor, for about that long. And <clears throat> I was on the worship team. And when I was in third grade, my dad brought home a trumpet, said, boy, you're going to learn to play this. And I did, and I actually played the trumpet for quite a few years. I was a brass instrument, played quite a bit, and did pretty well. Uh, 16 years of age, I decided I want to play the guitar. Uh, my dad thought I was going to go to hell for that, because that was back in the 60s and 70s. You know, everybody played guitar was you know, of the devil. So, but I got my own, he wouldn't buy it for him. I went and bought my own guitar and started teaching myself uh, to play the guitar. So I played string instrument for a while, led worship for many, many years. Um, picked up percussion and, and played that. And um, uh, that was just kind of the thing I love to do. So I'm on the worship team at Life Center and nobody played the saxophone. Now it was back in the day when, and it'll come back around, when saxophone and worship was kind of hot. It was happening. A lot of people had a saxophone player. Uh, even contemporary bands had sax players. And there's nothing like great sax. Said I was imperfect, right? Some of you are like, what did he say? I don't get it. Um, never mind. My wife's going to tell me not to say that at the second service. So anyhow. <laughs> yeah, you're good. 
So here I am, and I decided I'm going to play the saxophone. And I'd never played the sax in my life, never played a reed instrument in my life. So I went by myself, an alto sax, and I started practicing. Let me tell you, when I started playing the sax, it was horrible. I mean, cats and dogs ran from the house because of what the squawking and the noise I made out of this. It was terrible. But I had decided I was going to learn to play. And so two, three hours, that's my wife, every night. At least an hour, hour and a half, I'm practicing scales. That's really exciting. And I'm practicing, I'm practicing. And it took me hundreds of hours of practice before I got to the point where I was ready to play on the worship team. And even then, I was barely ready. But I did, and I started to play, and, and I kept working, I kept practicing. In fact, uh, one of the, the, my claim to fame, which is about the only claim to fame I had, is that I actually got to play my soprano sax uh, at the arena for one Easter. I played lead on the opening song. So I got pretty good at it. Now, I was not Kenny B. Um, Kenny G, yeah, I actually, yeah. I was actually Curdy B, I guess was my point, but anyhow. But here's the point in all this, guys. <laughs> is it took practice, it took time. Listen to me, in your spiritual journey, it's gonna take a lot of time, a lot of practice, and it's okay. It's okay. Sometimes we take a step forward and 29 steps backwards. Sometimes it's, it's, a, it's a give and take, it's okay. God is not gonna give up on you. Philippians 1.6, one of my favorite verses, and I'll just give it to you, is basically Paul says, the, the Lord who started a good work in you is going to bring it to completion. He's going to bring it to maturity. He's not going to stop. He's not going to give up on you. So you can have hope. You can have hope in the process and know that you're okay because that's what we're all in. Here's the third thing, number three. Jesus doesn't condemn us, but he does want to change us. Jesus does not condemn us, but he does want to change us. I love the last part of this story. These guys drop their stones one by one. They walk away, the oldest to the youngest. It's Jesus, this woman. Obviously, the disciples are in the background. They're watching. They're aware of what's happening here. And Jesus looks at this woman, and I think with more compassion than she'd ever heard from anyone in her life, let alone a man. She said, woman, where are those who condemn you? Has no one condemned you? And here's what I imagine. And again, we don't know for sure, but put yourself in that situation. Imagine what she's going through. An emotional roller coaster. She's dragged from in the act of committing adultery. She's probably not completely clothed or not, doesn't have it all gathered together. They didn't care what she looked like. She's terrified. She sees the stones in their hands. She knows these guys are righteous. She knows what the law demands. And she's dragged before Jesus. Now, here's the situation for Jesus. If he says, oh, no, you know, you need to let her off the hook. It's no big deal. It's not, no, no, we don't want to stone her. Then Jesus is going against the law of Moses. And the Jews, and especially this crowd, are going to go into an uproar. No, no, can't, can't let her off the hook. If he says, go ahead and stone her, then he's breaking the law of Rome because the Romans had taken capital punishment away from the Jews. Couldn't do it unless they had Romans, Rome approval, which is why they couldn't just crucify Jesus without Pontius Pilate. So here they are in the situation trying to trap Jesus. And Jesus calls them on the carpet. These guys leave, and this woman is there. And I want you to see her there in her terror, in her fear. And now in a little bit of relief, she's thinking, what just happened here? Where, what, what? Am, and now she's wondering, what is Jesus gonna do? What is he gonna say? And Jesus looks at her and he says, has no one, where are they, those who condemn you? Has no one condemn you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus didn't condemn her. 
He didn't go and grab the stones and say, well, I guess it's my turn because I'm the only perfect one this year. Nope. What he said was, I'm not condemning you. That's not why I came. In fact, what I do want you to do, though, is I want you to change. Go, leave this place and stop. Stop doing what you were doing. And I think he said it with more compassion and gentleness than it she'd ever heard from anyone in her life. Jesus had another encounter with a guy named Nicodemus, who, by the way, was one of these religious guys. Not necessarily one of them standing there at that moment, but a guy that'd been around, knew Jesus. Nicodemus showed up at night and said to Jesus, what do I gotta do? What, what must I do to be born again? What do I have to do to, to have things right? To, what are you teaching? And Jesus said, John 3, 16, now every one of us have probably heard the scripture verse. You've seen the placards in the football games, you know, John 3, 16. Some of us memorized it as young children. In fact, I want to read it to you from the Passion Version because I've gotten uh, really passionate about the Passion Version. For this is how much God loved the world. He gave his one and only unique son as a gift. So now everyone who believes in him will never perish but experience everlasting life. Jesus said to Nicodemus, here's the deal. You can, you can have everlasting life. You don't have to worry about eternal punishment. You don't have to worry about perishing. You can believe and you, 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 you'll have everlasting life. That's how much God loved the world. Now, most of us have heard that verse. Many of us have it memorized. But we have forgotten or we didn't memorize verse 17. Look at verse 17. Jesus said, God did not send a son to the world to judge and condemn the world, but to be its savior and to rescue it. God did not send me to condemn, but to save, Jesus said. Jesus said that to Nicodemus. Here, Jesus demonstrated that to this woman caught in the act of adultery. Jesus didn't come to judge and condemn. So why are we so quick to do so? Why are we so quick? Why are so many Christians, so many churches known for what they're against? So many are viewed as mean and harsh and frankly, self-righteous. When that's not the way of Jesus, that's not what he did at all. Jesus established relationship. He came, he brought love and joy. He brought hope. He, he brought something different than anyone had ever brought to these people before, to the nation of Israel and to everyone he heard. And they said, this guy is different. And Jesus lived out a different way of dealing with. And sinners were drawn. They were attracted to him. Why? Because Jesus said, I didn't come to beat you up. I'm not here to kill you. I'm not here to destroy you. I'm not here to judge, condemn you. I'm here to give you life, everlasting life. But then Jesus always said, but now it's time to change. Now it's time to grow. Now it's time for you to move forward. Many years ago, a young guy named Will started coming to East Point. I always sit right about where Bruce is, second row. Usually second service. And uh, Will, if you looked at him, you would say, boy, this is a guy that's had a tough life. Pretty tattooed, tattoos on his neck. And you could just, you could tell a lot of mileage on Will's body. Just had lived a difficult life. He was in his late 20s, but had, had come from a dysfunctional family and, and pretty broken. And he showed up here. And I made a beeline to him uh, as soon as I could. I said, man, I'm just glad you're here. I'm Kurt, so I'm Will. And he seemed nervous around me. I wasn't sure why, but I said, well, man, thanks for being here today. And this went on for quite a while. And he always sat in the same place. And I always made a point of trying to get to Will to say, dude, I'm glad you're here, man. Thanks for being a part of our service today. Anything I can do for you. And one day, we're out in the lobby, actually, and Will said to me, he said, hey, Kurt. I said, yeah. He said, I gotta tell you something. I said, what's that? <laughs> he said, this is the first church I've ever been to where I didn't feel judged when I walked through the doors. And that broke my heart. It made me a little angry, to be honest with you. First church you've ever been to where you came and didn't feel judged? I said, yeah. And said, that's why I stayed. I said, oh, Will, I'm so glad you stayed. He said, and that's why I gave my life to Jesus here. 
not too long ago, Will died in a car accident. True story. Died in a car accident. I miss him. But he's a guy that came and stayed because he got it. Jesus didn't throw stones. Jesus didn't condemn. Jesus loved him and wanted to change him, and he did. I wonder, I wonder, what would happen in this city, in this county, if instead of ripping people to shreds on social media because we don't like their position or because we think they're pagan, hedonistic, godless people, what would happen if we loved them the way Jesus loved them? You know, today, the modern-day soapbox is social media, and people get mean and ruthless on it. I, is that what Jesus would do? The answer is no. What would happen if instead of uh, judging people and being harsh and people running from us when they see us walk into the office because they know they're going to get an earful about their sin, what if we just put our arms around and say, man, how, what can I do for you today? I'm so, I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm just, can we go grab a cup of coffee together? Or maybe, can we go grab a beer after work? That'll really freak them out. <laughs> what if we just did what Jesus did? We treated people with love and with kindness and with acceptance. That doesn't mean that we excuse. Unconditional love does not mean unconditional acceptance of their life choices. Are you listening to me? Unconditional love does not mean unconditional acceptance of their life choices. Jesus did not accept this woman's life of adultery, but he accepted her, and he embraced her. And when everybody else around her was self-righteous pigs, wanted to throw her you know, in, 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 to death and, and stone her to death, Jesus said, no, nope, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to rescue you, to save you. Now go, live differently because of me. What would happen if we lived like that? What kind of hope would that give you and me if we lived the way Jesus lived? By your hands, let me pray for you. Jesus, I just want to be more like you. I want us to treat the people in our world more like you to love them unconditionally, to not stand in harsh, mean judgment of them. God, there's a world filled with people that live in darkness, and that's why you came. You, you sent Jesus because they needed light. And God, I pray that you would make us light in the midst of a very dark world, light that attracts people, like a moth attracted to a, a porch light, that people would be drawn to us because they sense, feel, know there's something different in our hearts toward them than what they typically experience from Christians. And then Jesus, I know that there's a bunch of us here right now that we have wrestled with hopelessness because of our sin. We have, we have struggled with our, our humanity, our failures. We've carried the weight of our guilt and our shame and we've, we've just beat ourselves up time and time and time again. And we don't feel like we deserve your, your love. God, today, would you set those people free? Would you remind them that you are never, ever, ever going to condemn you? You're never going to pick up a stone and throw it at them because you, you carry the weight of their sin on that cross. You paid on the cross for our sins, past, present, and future. And so God, I pray that we would leave you today with more hope than we came, knowing that we are in process. <laughs> We've got a long ways to grow, but that we're going to get there because you're never, ever, ever going to give up on us. Keep your head bowed, your eyes closed for a minute, if you would. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet started your life as a Christ follower. 
or maybe you're watching online, you're sitting alone in your, your living room in your office right now, and you're thinking, I don't know what I should do. And I'm, I, you sense something, you feel something. Right now you know something. God loves me. He sent Jesus because he loves me, and he doesn't want to throw stones. He doesn't want to condemn me. He wants to rescue me. And maybe you're here today, for the first time in your life, you realize, I want that. I want a Savior. I want to be rescued. I'm going to pray a very simple prayer right now. But it's a prayer that if you want, you can own it. You can make it your prayer. You can say, God, I want Jesus as my Savior. I want to follow you. I want to surrender my life. I know that, that I have tried it my way. Now I'm going to follow you and surrender my life to follow you, to give up my way for your way, to embrace what you did for me on that cross. And if that's what you want, just make this prayer your prayer right now. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you for taking the burden of my guilt and my shame upon yourself. And I get it. I need a Savior. And I thank you, Jesus, that you're alive right now. I believe that you live. And that you are right now at the right hand of God, that you're there interceding, you're there on my behalf. Say, Father, that one belongs to me. And, and God, right now, I want to belong to Jesus. I want to surrender my life to him. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for choosing me. And right here, right now, I choose you. Now, if that's you and that's your, your heart's desire, your own way to say, yes, God, that's me. Listen, this doesn't fix everything. It's not going to be easy. In fact, your life may get harder. But the fact is, from this point forward, you'll live free from guilt and shame, free from the guilt that you've carried, free from the effort of trying to do it on your own. Knowing that you are in Christ, in relation with him, will change everything. You're not alone in this battle anymore. And if that's you, just say, thank you. Thank you for what you've done for me today. Lord, thank you for those making that choice right now. Help all of us to leave here today aware of what you did for us again. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. I kept it short today because I want to do something here that we've never done before at East Point. Uh, we've done things in response to what we feel like the Lord wants us to do. But today we're going to do something uh, a little out there. And I'm going to ask you to participate with your heart. Uh, all around the room, there's tables, side, the back, this side. They have baskets filled with rocks in them. You probably came and said, what are we going to do today? Here's the good news. We're not going to grab these rocks and throw them at anybody. <laughs> Least of all me, I hope. Don't, please don't. But here's an opportunity for you. And you might think, oh, that's dumb. I hope, I hope you get it, because here's an opportunity for you. I want you to take, there's pins, sharpies by the baskets, rocks in the baskets. Take one rock, one sharpie and write either your initials, that's what I did on mine, because um, you can write your initials, you can write your sins. I, I don't have a big enough rock to put all my sins, so I just kept, I stuck to my initial. In all seriousness, like you can just put your initials on it. But what I want you to do is take a rock, take a Sharpie, maybe put your initial, maybe put a sin on there if you want to. And then what we're gonna do is ask you as you do that, leave the pen so the person behind you can grab it. And I ask you to take your rock and to take it to the foot of the cross. as a physical act of saying, Jesus, thank you that you took my sin, you took me, 
And on that cross, you bore my sins. And so I'm gonna take whatever I've carried this week, whatever fear I've walked with in this week, whatever guilt I've struggled with this week, whatever I felt like I deserve from you or others because of my sin this week, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that, I'm gonna write my initials on this rock and I'm gonna take it to that cross as a symbol, symbolic act, as a reminder that you died for me and you live for me and I don't have to carry this anymore. And you drop that rock, don't throw the rocks. But you drop that rock, just as those men dropped their rocks, you drop that rock at the foot of the cross. While we sing this last song, I'm gonna ask you to do that. There'll be lots of movement all over. If you don't feel comfortable doing it, you don't have to. Nobody's gonna come and call you, you know, to account. But there are places all around the room. Grab a rock, mark it, drop it to the cross. I'll come back afterwards and we'll finish it up.